Holy Word to the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 23, be reading verses 9 through 40. In 1538, Calvin was evicted from Geneva. He was evicted by the city, by the civil magistrates. Not evicted by his congregation from the church, evicted from the city by the civil magistrates for issues regarding church authority. Who had the authority to do certain things within the church? Whenever he returned three and a half years later at their invitation... He resumed preaching precisely where he had left off. And although I don't think there would be anything wrong with any kind of special message pertinent to the day in any congregational setting, it just especially seems delightful to return back exactly where we left off. Jeremiah chapter 23 verses 9 through 40. Concerning the prophets, my heart is broken within me, all my bones shake. I'm like a drunken man, like a man overcome by wine because of Yahweh and because of his holy words. For the land is full of adulterers because of the curse the land mourns and the pastures of the wilderness are dried up. Their course is evil, and their might is not right. Both prophet and priest are ungodly. Even in my house I have found their evil, declares Yahweh. Therefore, their way shall be to them like slippery paths in the darkness, into which they shall be driven and fall. For I will bring disaster upon them in the year of their punishment, declares Yahweh. In the prophets of Samaria, I saw an unsavory thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people astray, my people Israel astray. But in the prophets of Jerusalem, I've seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. All of them have become like Sodom to me and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. Therefore, thus says Yahweh of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with bitter food and give them poisoned water to drink. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has gone out into all the land. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of Yahweh. They say continually to those who despise the word of Yahweh, It is well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, No disaster shall come upon you. For who among them has stood in the counsel of Yahweh to see and to hear his word? Or who has paid attention to his word and listened? Behold, the storm of Yahweh. Wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The anger of Yahweh will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of his heart. In the latter days, you will understand it clearly. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to the people, and they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds." 
Am I a God at hand, declares Yahweh, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares Yahweh? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares Yahweh? I have heard what the prophets have said, who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall there be lies in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy lies, and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart, who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal? Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, declares Yahweh? Is not my word like fire, declares Yahweh, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Therefore, behold, I am against the prophet, declares Yahweh, who steal the prophets who declare, who steal my words from one another. Behold, I am against the prophets, declares Yahweh, who use their tongues and declare, declares Yahweh. Behold, I am against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares Yahweh, and who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness when I did not send them or charge them. So they do not profit this people at all, declares Yahweh. When one of this people, or a prophet, or a priest, asks you, What is the burden of Yahweh? You shall say to them, You are the burden, and I will cast you off, declares Yahweh. And as for the prophet, priest, or one of the people who says, The burden of Yahweh, I will punish that man and his household. Thus you shall say, Everyone to his neighbor and everyone to his brother, What has Yahweh answered? Or, what has Yahweh spoken? But the burden of Yahweh you shall mention no more, for the burden is every man's own word. And you pervert the words of the living God, Yahweh of hosts, our God. Thus shall you say to the prophet, What has Yahweh answered you? Or what has Yahweh spoken? But if you say the burden of Yahweh, thus says Yahweh, because you have said these words, the burden of Yahweh, When I sent to you, saying, You shall not say the burden of Yahweh. Therefore, behold, I will surely lift you up and cast you away from my presence, you and the city that I gave to you and your fathers, and I will bring upon you everlasting reproach and perpetual shame, which shall not be forgotten. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, who is like you? You are inescapable. We cannot flee from your presence. You are all knowing. And forgive us, though we not, might not spout some heresy contrary to those truths, we practically live out such heresy, acting as though you were not. We deny your word and your truth for lies. And though we might speak against many false prophets, By our lives, we show we wish their words true. 
And so have mercy on us in Christ and grant grace now, Father, that we might tremble at your word. In Christ's name, amen. In conversations concerning religion and politics, Americans speak frequently about the separation, a wall of separation between church and state. Now that idea, as it was laid down by our founders, specifically by Jefferson in a letter that he wrote, that idea, as it was laid down, was built as a one-way street. But most people today, ignoring all the wrong-way signage, are driving the opposite direction. The phrase was not meant to keep the church from driving to Washington, but to keep Washington from driving a church, a state church on the republic. Nevertheless, using my liberty to leverage that phrase in yet another way, let us pray that there is indeed a wall of separation between church and state. That is, that the church is truly separate in holiness from the sins of the state. But unfortunately, I believe the reason that the, the, the state is so full of lies is because the church is full of lies. Let us pray that there is this wall then of separation between the state of the state and the state of the church for the state of the state. The world is dark because the world is dark. While that which is light has been hidden under something. When the world is rotting, it means that that which is posing as salt isn't salty. It's the nature of the world to rot, and whenever the rot goes on unpaused, that which is, is meant to be salt has lost its saltiness and is good for nothing but to be cast out. In Israel, there was to be no separation between church and state. Both were to be separate unto Yahweh. Both the state, at this point, it's the kings, and the church, the prophets, the priests, both had become defiled. And so in Jeremiah chapters 21 through 23, Jeremiah first denounces the kings and then deals with the prophets. Now in these chapters, more time is spent on the kings than on the prophets, but it's highly likely, as you look at the book as a whole, more time is spent dealing with the prophets. Indeed, Jeremiah speaks against the false prophets more than any true prophet. And here is his most concentrated treatment. Now, whereas the invective against the kings was mostly one denouncing their oppression of the poor, that against the prophets was their deceiving the people. So the former fleece the sheep, they oppress them, and the latter lead them into destruction. John McKay comments, From the preceding section, the impression might readily be gained that the problems facing Jeremiah had to do with the political institutions of Judah and its civil leadership. That unfortunately was true, but they were by no means the exclusive source of opposition to him. Both church and state were corrupt in Judah, and in this section, his focus is on the religious degeneracy of the land. It is what they, the prophets, proclaimed in the name of Yahweh that set the tone for church and state in Judah, as well as reflecting prevailing sentiment. Now, concerning the prophets, this passage opens up with Jeremiah 
expressing to us his reaction to the word of Yahweh concerning the prophets. It's the only place in this text where we hear the prophet himself speaking. Because of Yahweh and Yahweh's words, he is, his heart is broken, his bones shake, he's like a man who is drunk. Verse 9. Um, why is the prophet so startled? What, what has troubled him? And we'll return to that question in the conclusion, but I think this much is clear. It's not simple sympathy for the plight that the false prophets now face under Yahweh's judgment. Habakkuk, who was a contemporary, cried out because of the injustice that he saw in the land. Writing, well, and after, after he cries out concerning the injustice, he recalls the justice of Yahweh that falls out on the wicked for the salvation of his people. It's a kind of prophetic remembering. He's remembering what Yahweh's done, knowing he will do it in the future. And he says, in light of that, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Jeremiah here trembles in fear and reverence at Yahweh and His word concerning these prophets because of Yahweh supremely and His holiness, His glory. Now several reasons are then given in verse 10, but reasons for what? Verse 10, for the land is full of adulterers, because of the curse of the land, the land mourns. The pastures of the wilderness are dried up. Their course is evil. Their might is not right. So we have reasons, but what are these reasons for? Are these further reasons that Jeremiah trembles while his heart is broken? Is, is the heart of Jeremiah broken, not only because of Yahweh and His Word, but because of the iniquity of Israel? Or is Jeremiah giving us now reasons why Yahweh has spoken. And either way, it amounts to the same effect. Because the word that Jeremiah has heard, if it's coming because of the iniquity of the land, then the words he's hearing implicitly communicate the wickedness of the land. So the land is full of adulterers. And you remember repeatedly in the early chapters of Jeremiah, the sin of the people was spoken of as one of spiritual adultery. Judah was in covenant union with Yahweh. They, uh, she was his bride, but she has defiled the land with her whoredoms on the high places. And that spiritual adultery and that false worship involved physical adultery. One led to the other. Worshipping these fertility gods involved perverse sexual rites, rituals. But instead of providing fruitfulness, there was barrenness. And for her whoredoms, she bore no children. There was no fruitfulness. The land is wet with tears, but it's, without, it's dry without rain. And the course that the people are plotting is evil, and their might, their power, they're using in wicked ways. And this list ends by finally telling us about the prophets themselves. Both prophet and priest are ungodly. Even in my house I found their evil, declares Yahweh. They're ungodly even in God's house. You remember in 2 Samuel chapter 2, 
we find Hophni and Phinehas sinning in the house of the Lord. And then a nondescript prophet, simply spoken of as a man of God, comes along and speaks judgment concerning them. Or Manasseh, whenever he brings pagan worship, the pagan altars, uh, the pagan worship, the idols, whenever he brings them into the house of, of the Lord, the prophets, plural, the prophets, it's as if all of them, all the prophets are speaking against the king and what he's done. The prophets served as God's covenant attorneys showing where Israel had violated the terms of the covenant. So whenever the kings were unfaithful, the prophets addressed that. Whenever the priests were unfaithful, the prophets addressed that. When the people are unfaithful, the prophets address that. But now, Jeremiah seemingly stands alone. The priests are corrupt, the kings are wicked, and the prophets are false. Now, all sin has pride as a central taproot, but this one has pride as its trunk as well. These prophets stand in the house of Yahweh doing their ungodliness, using, using God's temple, as it were, as their pulpit to declare their lies. The prophets are ungodly in the temple, but nothing's been hidden. They haven't masked for a holy place. They haven't masked their unholiness. Their evil has been found, verse 11, and as a consequence, their evil course in which they're walking, verse 10, has been, is made slippery, verse 12. God will bring disaster upon them in their appointed time. The paved road may be smooth, but its end is slippery and the end is hell. In chapter 6 and verse 1, you remember Yahweh called for His people to ask for the ancient way, the good way, and walk in it. But they rebelled saying, we will not walk in it. Now, the heading over this whole section is concerning the prophet, but we only got to the prophets again in verse 11. All of this concerned the wickedness of the land at large, and the implication is that the prophets are responsible because they do this wickedness in the temple, there is wickedness throughout the land. The depth of their depravity is shown that they do such wickedness in God's house. And thus, it is so great in the land. Now, a hypocritical prophet who, who um, speaks godliness publicly, but practices ungodliness in private, that's one matter. But these prophets uh, publicly proclaim their lies in the house of Yahweh. You remember later in the ancient church, Paul said that he, even though Christ were preached out of rivalry and envy by some, he rejoiced because Christ was preached. That much cannot be said here. There's nothing commendable. There's nothing good about what these prophets are doing. In that which is called God's house, even in many true houses of the Lord, Many true churches today that are on a bad course, in many true churches, there are, they are in danger because false prophets are using the pulpit to declare that which is ungodly. Now, sin is certain to abound, but if there's an area in which churches are proliferate, they're all over the place, if there's an area where it's full of churches, but it's also full of adultery, you can bet 
that the pulpits are filled with false prophets. Whenever, or the better application is not the culture at large, but whenever the church is full of adultery, you can bet that the pulpit is occupied by a false prophet. If you study the prosperity gospel movement, which promises fruitfulness but delivers barrenness, Whenever you study it, whenever you look at the proponents of it, you study the the church involved in it, though they promise prosperity, they prey on the poor, you will also find, not only that, you'll find adultery abounding. Spiritual adultery, they're, they're already cheating on God, so why should they have any reverence for covenant? And although you'll find the same sin in solid Reformed churches... You'll find the same sin there. You'll find it in a brazen manner in the prosperity gospel movement. You'll find persons who are serial adulterers and they keep their position despite the fact because they've already, they're already teaching that covenant doesn't mean much. Now, the current situation, verses 13 through 15, the current situation is then compared to Samaria. The northern kingdom is compared to Samaria. Samaria was uh, northern Israel. The tribes of, those tribes of Israel that, that, uh, that split whenever under uh, Solomon's son Rehoboam. The, that kingdom was taken captive sometime earlier by Assyria. God had already judged them. And so then an unsavory thing was done in Samaria. They prophesied by Baal. They led the people astray. But a horrible thing, and the idea is a more radical sin is being done in Jerusalem. They commit adultery and they walk in lies. The sin of Jerusalem is worse than that of her sister. Jeremiah 3, 6-11 Yahweh said to me in the days of King Josiah, Have you seen what they did, that faithless one Israel, how she went up on every high hill and under every green tree and there played the whore? And I thought, After she has done all this, she will return to me. But she did not return, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. She saw that for all the adulteries of that faithless one, Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear. She too went and played the whore. Because she took her whoredom lightly, she polluted the land, committing adultery with stone and tree." Yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, declares Yahweh. And Yahweh said to me, Faithless Israel has shown herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. Now, it's no surprise then, whenever we read verse 14, that the, the horrid thing that they do is not only that they commit adultery and walk in lies, they strengthen the hand of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil way. It's no surprise to learn that those who would use God's house as leverage for their false prophecies would then be strengthening the people in their resolve not to turn, not to repent. And the result is that the the cities have become the city, the people have become like Sodom, the inhabitants of God's city like Gomorrah. So Yahweh declares concerning them, because their sin is greater than that of unsavory Samaria, they will eat bitter food, they will drink poisoned water, verse 15. And the reason is that from these prophets, verse 15, 
from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness goes out into all the land. So I don't think Kidner far from the mark when he writes, there is far more concern here and far more heartbreak over false preachers than over brutal officials. For without justice, a nation suffers, but without truth, it sickens. Worse still, these ungodly prophets and priests are not simply useless, failing to give a lead, for by their position, their lives and words are a fountain pouring out what others will drink. By their worldliness, they are secularizing the house of God, that bastion of holiness, and by their laxity, whether practiced or preached, they are taking the shame out of sin. Even the heresy of the northern prophets is less culpable than the laxity of these southerners. So as we look out and survey the land today, the far greater detriment is not wickedness in the civil magistrate. The detriment to our culture, our society, is false preachers, false prophets. Their lies easily go viral. And so the best application then for us comes as the leading command in the next section, verse 16. Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy lies filling with vain hope. But how are you to identify them? And the, the quickest answer is in this age, because the supreme word, Jesus Christ, has been spoken by the Father and unfolded by His apostles, because that's so, the way you identify a false prophet is that, one, it's anyone who identifies as a prophet. Whenever he says he's a prophet, whenever he says he's an apostle, he's false. But that's another message for another text. Right here, how, how do you identify the false prophet? And you're told that the source of his message is that they speak visions from their own minds and not from the mouth of Yahweh, verse 16. So Yahweh's word is don't listen to their words because their words are not his words. And thus, how can you know if the prophet's false? Know Yahweh's word. Know Yahweh's word, and when their words don't jive with his words, their words aren't his words. Two tests were outlined by God in the Old Covenant. He gave two tests by Moses. The nation is being founded, and he gives Moses two tests that are to carried forward for the rest of the Old Covenant. The first one, Deuteronomy 18, 21 through 22. If a prophet speaks a word, and that word does not come to pass, he's a false prophet. He says, basically, don't fear that prophet, kill him. You don't need to fear him. You need to kill him. Now, the problem with that test is how long it might take for whatever he's predicted to uh, come to pass. And he can, if he's sly, he'll, he'll state it in such a way that there's not an expiration date. There, there's not a date that you're expecting that thing to happen. So the second test is if a prophet calls for them to rebel, if a prophet calls for them to break covenant, in other words, if he calls for them to violate the Torah, if, if he calls for them to do anything in opposition to the covenant as it's been laid out in the first five books given by Moses, he's a false prophet. And again, you kill him. So this meant that all future prophets 
were judged in relation to Moses. And since Jesus comes as the fulfillment of all the old covenant, now for us, every preacher, every prophet in the apostolic age, all of them were judged in reference to Jesus and the apostles. So, you ask, is the prophet making stuff up? Does this come from his own mind, or is this from the mind of Yahweh? And the mind of Yahweh is given to us in the Word of God. Is he making stuff up? Like Stephen Furtick, whenever he says that God broke the law for love. Like a father who sees their child badly hurt, rushes them to the ER, ignoring the speed limit signs. God broke the law for love. No, that doesn't jive. Because what we read in the scriptures is that Jesus kept the law for love. He kept the law for love. He didn't break it for love. He kept the law for love. So study the word of God to renew your mind so that it's conformed to the mind of God so that you know whenever prophets are speaking out of their own mind because they're out of their mind. Whenever you hear a false teacher say, I had a vision, you say, so what? <laughs> so did the pr false prophets. Whenever they, do false sign, whenever they do signs and wonders, even if they are real and legit, which Deuteronomy 13 says, if they do them, if they do them and call for you to disregard God's revealed word, so what? So what if you have signs and wonders? The... the um, the magicians who opposed Moses were able to replicate the early signs. So what if you can replicate signs and wonders? If you call for any rebellion against Yahweh and His Word, you're false. The false prophets say to those who despise the Word, verse 17, it shall be well with you. And so notice, the false prophets appeal to those with false hearts. They, their message goes out to those who despise the word. It's not those who are faithful to God who are adhering to the covenant that are in danger. It's those with false hearts that want to hear false prophets. They are deceived because they want to be deceived. They, they want to be deceived by false words because they despise God's true word. Paul told Timothy, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths, 2 Timothy 4. False, false prophets speak from their own evil minds to appeal to sinners' own evil hearts. And the reason that they speak so, verse 18, is because they have never stood in the counsel of Yahweh. The image here is of a king's council in his throne room, his ministers receiving his instructions to then go act with his authority. But these prophets have never stood in the presence of the king. And so that their message is a hoax will be evident, verse 19, whenever the storm of Yahweh breaks upon the head of the wicked. So these false prophets are like bad weathermen who say everything from henceforth will only and forever be sunshine whenever a black and ominous sky is on the horizon. This is beyond any storm that will simply ruin a picnic. This will ruin the picnickers. 
It matters not how much they say, sunshine, there will be a storm because the anger of Yahweh, verse 20, will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of his heart. So the dreams coming out of their hearts will not materialize. The intents of Yahweh's heart will surely be done. The prosperity gospel tells us that we must speak our blessing into existence. But it doesn't matter how much you say blessing, it cannot counter God's truth of curse upon all of those who are outside covenant love in Christ. Their lies do not escape wrath, they provoke it. And so do you realize how extremely presumptuous these false prophets are? Verse 21. He didn't send them, but they run. The the images of a herald. He did not commission them as a herald, but they're running forth, acting like one. He didn't speak to them, but they're prophesying. Now, for a king or a priest to, to behave wickedly would be a great sin because of the responsibility that lies upon them. But kings were born into royal households. Priests were born into priestly families. The prophets presumptuously take this responsibility upon themselves for the purpose of using it irresponsibly. This is not an office that you volunteer for. This is not even an office you apply for. This is one for which you are divinely chosen and appointed, called, selected. John Stott, concerning preaching, wrote, We should never presume to occupy a pulpit unless we believe in this God, by which he means the living, redeeming, self-revealing God. How dare we speak if God has not spoken? By ourselves, we have nothing to say. To address a congregation without any assurance that we are bearers of a divine message would be the height of arrogance and folly. But the folly and presumption of a false prophet is greater than that of a false preacher. The preacher merely twists true revelation. The false prophet invents his own false revelation. Both lie, but the prophet lies twice. Because the prophet not only lies about God's person with his heresy, he lies about his person, that he is a prophet. And God says, if they had stood in the council, then they would have proclaimed his words and they would have turned the people from their evil ways. Verse 22. Now, as the the prophet's sin is a double lie, it's also a double heresy. Verses 23 through 24. When they say God is all peace, they have implicitly said that the true God is not present. It's a double heresy. There's the heresy of what they're actually saying, and there's the implicit heresy. Whenever they say peace, they're denying that the true and holy God is not present. He doesn't know any of this. Their message makes God soft. He's ignorant and he's distant. He doesn't know. Part of what makes God transcendent, though, is his universal eminence. Part of what God being so far above us means is that he's right here. And he's there. He's everywhere. God fills heaven and earth, verse 24. He doesn't fill heaven and earth like butter spread out over toast. His presence isn't thin, it is thick. Charles Hodge states, God is as much present everywhere and with everything as 
though he were only in one place and had but one object of attention. Our God is not spread thin, and he is not distracted. And so he's heard the lies of these false prophets who say, they've dreamed, they've dreamed. They speak not only from their own evil hearts, um, they, but they speak the deceit, verse 25, of their own heart. Excuse me, verse 26. They speak not only lies from the heart, they speak the lies that they themselves have imbibed. Many false prophets are no doubt sincere, but they're sincerely sinning. Sincerity isn't a virtue in and of itself. For all of our culture, everything that our culture is telling us to be authentic, to be raw, to be real, those are no virtue in and of themselves. Sincerity must be wed to truth. These prophets have claimed to, claimed to have dreamed. That's not disputed. But these dreams originate from their own evil hearts and not from God. Now, dreams as a mode of revelation is sometimes referred to in Scripture. Most notably, we have Joseph on one end and Daniel on the other. And both of them, there's, there's a parallel happening with each where largely they're interpreting uh, the dreams of the leaders who are over them. But outside of those instances, most of the time, dreams are, are uh, they're rarely spoken of as any means of revelation being received by a true prophet. Most of the time, dreams have the image of being that which is fleeting, that, was, that which is insubstantial. So in Psalm 73, 20, the psalmist says, Like a dream, when one awakens, O Yahweh, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. The image is, uh, whenever Yahweh d- decides to deal with his enemies... It's as if he's roused himself and they dissipate like a dream. That's how insubstantial they are. So by their dreams, what these prophets want to do is imagine that God is dreamy. They want to flip the roles. By their dreams, they want to say the true God dissipates. He floats away. He's insubstantial. He's not real. It's all peace. But he's telling them he's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He cannot be evaded. He cannot be defeated. You can't go through him. You cannot go around him. You cannot get away from him. And further, by their dreams, they are calling for the people of God to live in forgetfulness of Yahweh, verse 27, and be fixated on Baal like their forefathers. And so Yahweh, verse 28, calls for the prophet who has a dream to tell his dream. But for the one, there's a contrast. But for the one who has his word to speak it faithfully. The idea is if, if you have a dream, call it a dream. But the one who has my word, may he declare it faithfully. Their dreams are straw, whereas Yahweh's word is wheat. His word is like a fire. His word is like a hammer that crushes the rock. And so then, verse 30, three consequences follow. Or rather, it's one single consequence with the people who will face it described in three different ways. But the emphasis isn't on the identity of the prophets. The emphasis is on the fact that Yahweh is against them. He is against them. He is against them. He's against those who steal his purported words. It's no surprise that the false prophets, say false prophecies, would also be guilty of plagiarism. They're, they're already guilty of putting their words in Yahweh's mouth. 
why not put someone else's words in Yahweh's mouth? And Yahweh then declares that he's against those who declare Yahweh. He's against those who declare, declares Yahweh, verse 31. And he's against those who prophesy lying dreams, leading his people astray when he didn't send them so that they don't profit his people at all, verse 32. Now, in verse 33, the you that opens up the final portion of our text is singular. Yahweh is addressing Jeremiah. He's, he's addressing his true prophet concerning the burden of Yahweh. The word for burden here is a common one used by the prophets to designate their message. So Isaiah uses it in chapters 15, chapter 17, chapter 19, chapter 21, chapter 22, chapter 23. In every one of those chapters, he uses it to open up those chapters. But there it's translated, an oracle concerning So the way the word that you have is burden, the way it's often translated in the prophets in this way, whenever it's regarding their message, is an oracle concerning. Strikingly, though Isaiah, Ezekiel, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zechariah, Malachi, although they all use the word in this way, Jeremiah never does. Jeremiah is the longest book in the Bible by word count, His is the longest book, but it's never present in Jeremiah in this way. That's because here, the word has a negative connotation. It's not a burden as the prophets bear it as a servant. It's being thought of as a burden by the people who receive it. So the the negative connotation is that it's not a burden for the prophet to carry it, it's a burden for the people to receive. The prophet, uh, they're not to ask the prophet, they're not to ask Jeremiah, what is the burden of the Lord in this negative sense? They're not to say, hey Jeremiah, what's the dark news from heaven today? And answer Jeremiah, if they ask that, is to say, you are. What's the burden of Yahweh? It's not what I'm delivering to you. You are the burden of Yahweh, and He will soon cast you off. Anyone, prophet, priest, or one of the people, any one of them who say, the burden of Yahweh will be punished along with His household. Instead of the negative connotations that are involved with them saying the burden of Yahweh, they are, verse 35, simply to ask, what has Yahweh answered? What has Yahweh spoken? Instead of despising the true word and making up false words, they are to seek God's word through God's prophet. They shouldn't refer to Yahweh's word as a burden because it is their own words. Their words which twist and pervert the true word of God that are the burden, verse 36. Now again, finishing off this this section, the false prophet is singled out, he's addressed, For those who disobey and they speak of the word of Yahweh as the burden of Yahweh, he will cast them off away from his presence, bringing everlasting reproach and perpetual shame on them. Verses 38 through 40. So, let's return to that question that we opened with. Why does Jeremiah so react to Yahweh and his words? Why is his heart broken? Why do his bones shake? Why is he like a drunken man? 
And the sight of the God of heaven is enough to explain all of that. That that enough is alone, but clearly something else is at work here. What is it? Not in the negative sense, just disgust. But in the purest and truest sense, this is the burden of Yahweh. The word of judgment born by a true prophet to declare faithfully. Whereas the prophets are flippant and cavalier, Jeremiah is solemn and reverent. Out of their own hearts, they presume to speak for God. But Jeremiah, his heart is broken at the word of Yahweh. In chapter 66 of Isaiah, we're told, This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. And so it is that Jeremiah shows us, he not only declares the truth, he demonstrates how to receive the truth. Not to receive it as some undesirable burden to be cast off, but to let its weight lie heavy on us, to humble us, to break us, to convict us, Accept its weight, accept its gravity, and tremble beneath it. Sinner, do not look to light and easy prophecies. They are vain, they are shadows, they have no gravity, they will dissipate before the storm of Yahweh like a dream. To borrow from Phil Riken, false prophets get false messages from false sources to live false lives, only to find in the end nothing but a false hope. But Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the central message of all of Scripture. There is no other way to the Father but through Him. He is the Word of God. But to receive this Word, you must Bow to Him in broken-hearted contrition and repentance before Him as Lord. You have no reason to presume upon mercy. The only mercy you can find is in bowing before His Word in faith that Christ bore the storm for all who would hope and trust in Him. Sinner, it's no burden to bear the word of Yahweh when you realize that the word of Yahweh is that Yahweh has borne the burden for sinners. But to bear that word means you must bear this truth. You are a sinner in need of a Savior. This is the true message of God given to us in Christ and His apostles that resonates with all of God's holy word. There is this hope and there is no other. Do not listen to any false prophet, but hear the one who is the prophet, the priest, and the king of Yahweh with perfection, Jesus Christ. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you because we deserve nothing in and of ourselves but to hear false prophets and their lies. But in grace and mercy, you have given us Christ and those who herald Christ. And by the truth of your word, which is the gospel of Christ, it comes as the power of God unto our salvation. It comes as your truth that sanctifies us. It equips us for every good work. And so may we see that the word of revelation that we have in Christ, your holy word, your Bible, is sufficient. It's all we need. We need look nowhere else. And may we be so hungry and thirsty for your truth and sanctified thereby that we'll not only be able to spot the lies, we will have no taste, no appetite for them. And Father, grant your people, your sheep. You promise, Father, that your sheep hear your voice and they follow you. And so for those that are truly your sheep, they've been converted. Father, call them into greater holiness for the glory of your name by your word and by your truth. In his name we pray. Amen.